Natalie and Liberty to share with us. My sister Liberty's from Philadelphia. Natalie is from right here in Lloydminster. And uh, I, I thought today we would just get a different perspective. You hear me talk all the time. I hope you hear me talk all the time. Like, hopefully you don't have your earplugs in and just, you know, here because somebody made you come. But, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, the body of Christ, the importance of that, uh, especially in connection to the head, which is Jesus. Uh, but I, you know, I found that it's, it's not only good to hear from different voices, but it's also good to hear from people who are doing it. Don't you believe that? It's good just not to hear hear things, hear people that know something. It's here. It's good to hear things from people that know something and are doing it. And sometimes you know things that you haven't really learned uh, by going to a class or reading a book. Sometimes you know things just by walking it out. And uh, I'm thankful for these two young ladies. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what they're going to share with us. Natalie's going to come up and share in a minute. And uh, most of you know Jared and Natalie, and they're a blessing to us. Um, they're some of the most passionate people when it comes to the family of God. I, I've really observed them and, and how they've, uh, I've had conversations with them before. Uh, you may not know it, but sometimes we see it, send them on secret missions uh, because they're the ones that you can call in the middle of the night and say, somebody needs a place to stay. And I've heard them say more than once, that's what our house is for. Yeah. Now, I don't know how comfortable I am with a stranger coming and sleeping in my house in the middle of the night. Yeah. I want to be more comfortable with that. Because the Bible says that's one of the things we need to do is be hospitable to strangers. In fact, it says outdo one another in hospitality. Amen. And so uh, this is something that I believe is not just something that uh, comes from a place of learning with Natalie and Jared. This is not something they've just read a ton of books about. This is something they've lived out. And I appreciate that about them. I appreciate that they are really, really sincerely in love with the body of Christ and are willing to put some skin in the game, willing to lay something down for it. That, that, that says something to me. We got, the, we got churches full of people that know something, but we're always looking for people that are doing something. Knowledge is good, right? But the Apostle Paul said this. He said, uh, you got a bunch of people that are preaching around there, and he says, I'm going to come check them out. He says, when I check them out, I'm not going to check out their words. I'm going to check out their power. For the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. Now, we certainly know that that power can include signs and wonders and miracles, but don't you believe the power of God is manifest in our life when we are most like Jesus? I believe the power of God is manifest when a blind person gets their sight, when, a, when, a, when an oppressed person goes free. But I also believe it's manifest in our life when we lay our lives down as Jesus did and we're able to love supernaturally like he loved. I think that that says something as well. So let's, let's hear, let's open up our hearts and open up our ears to hear because I believe that, you know, even if, come on guys, even if you hear something that you've heard a thousand times, I believe God's got a fresh way to hear, say it to you today and a fresh word for you to receive if you'll receive it as a word from God. Amen. Come welcome Natalie. Natalie, why don't you come on up? Good morning, everybody. I thought my husband was giving me a standing ovation already, but his legs are just too big, and he had to move out of the way so I could get up. But I'll count it as a standing ovation, honey. Uh, so um, 
Little did you know that even though I don't love standing up in front of people and talking, um, this is something that I have been thinking about and plotting and planning and meditating on for years. Um, and my hope is that in the next few minutes, I'm able to um, help each one of you to step up a level when it comes to fellowship. Because each one of us is at a different point in our journey, and I believe that um, uh, you know, drawing closer to other believers is part of the path of maturity in Christ. And so each one of us are at a different point. And so I hope that by some of the scriptures that I share and some of the stories that I share, um, each one of you will want to take a step forward. So um, I haven't always been community-minded girl. I probably have been Natalie-minded girl most of my life. Um, in fact, I got born again um, in, when I was living in Banff. And, um, <clears throat> pardon me. And I, I went off to YWAM. And, you know, my idea was, this is quite funny, at the time I thought, you know, I just feel like God wants me to set aside six months of my life and get to know him. This idea started to pop up as I was working in Banff, and I had no idea what to do. And so in my own individualistic, kind of self-centered um, mindset, I decided that what I should do is get a tent and fly to Costa Rica and sit in my tent and read my Bible for six months, which sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? So um, <laughs> that was actually my plan. I did, I booked the ticket. And, um, and then thankfully, somebody in my local church stepped up and said, you know, have you ever considered YWAM? And something kind of went off in my, in, in my heart. And uh, I dove into an adventure that kind of tore my life apart. Um, I, you know, I went from, at that time, I believe I was living alone in Banff and had been for several years, and um, I moved into a room with three other women, and the room was approximately the size of that piano, and um, settled in for six months of reading the Bible and praying together and eating every single meal together and worshiping God together and going out on the mission field together and... Um, well, it didn't, it didn't go very well at first. I actually took my tent and stayed in the backyard for the first week because I couldn't handle the closeness. I couldn't handle everybody always in my face. I couldn't handle people, you know, touching my things. Um, so I just share that with you just to give you some context because a lot of times when I'm talking to people about fellowship, their automatic reaction is, you know what, that's good for you, but I'm not like you. Just know I'm not like me, okay? <laughs> In my heart of hearts, I would like to be at home. Um, every Sunday morning, I say to myself, okay, Natalie, get up and go shake some hands. I've been a believer for 13 years. This is still an active part of my life. And, you know, it's getting easier, but it's still something that I have to step into. And what I have seen is great fruit in my own life and great growth, um, so, a couple years ago, I was working at Versus, actually, with Pastor Jonathan, and there was this CD, I will actually get to scripture eventually, um, there was a CD that, that I played relentlessly, eventually the staff had to hide it, because I just kind of like to listen to one, I'm still listening to albums from 12 years ago, to be honest, so, um, it was a Lee Nash CD, and there was one song on that album called Along the Wall, and one of the lyrics was, um, she was talking about relationships and the, essentially the power of Christ between us. 
to mediate and to bring us together. That part of the song I really didn't care about. The part that stuck out to me was, which one is willing to lose? I heard those words, and they just pierced my heart, and they, they continue to pierce my heart. Because at that time, you know, I already really thought, well, I'm really walking in the love of Christ, you know. I've really grown so much. I'm, I'm working at verses. I'm talking to people regularly. I'm, I'm, you know, involved in Bible studies and things like that. But I really had never thought about what does it mean to love people to the point that you're willing to lose out? Um, and it's funny that it was just this song that cued me up. And it's interesting because, you know, I went to YWAM for six months and studied the Bible. I, I was an avid Bible reader. I studied the scriptures constantly. But God used a woman singing a song to bring out one of the most important biblical truths that he ever inspired in his word. And so that was kind of what started me on this journey of learning about fellowship Several years ago, when I first started going to the Word Church, I got into a fight with somebody in the congregation. It doesn't matter who, and it doesn't matter about what. But I'll tell you the details later over lunch. But anyway, so I left. I left the church because I was mad. And apparently some of this who's willing to lose stuff hadn't sunk in. Um, And so I left the church, went to another church, got married. We moved to Calgary for a little while. And when we moved to Calgary... We really, you know, we had kind of been slowly fading away from fellowship. It was, you know, I think a big part of that was the offense in my own heart. There was a lot of people that I just didn't want to see because I just didn't want to deal with some of this junk that kept coming up in me. Um, But then also, um, you know, I think that, you know, there's that song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I don't believe that each one of us is prone to wander, but I think that when we get separated from the flock... It just gets a little bit easier. And so, you know, Jared and I moved to Calgary, and um, we had no one around us. And it's amazing to me um, what went down in our lives. By the time we moved back, and it was really a period of 12 months, it's not that long. You know, and I've been serving God for many, many years. I really felt like a city that had been broken down as far as spirituality. I can clearly remember, um, you know, getting up in the morning and seeking God and really just saying to him, I'm not going to make it if you don't come through. I just need you to do something inside of me because I feel like I'm, I'm dying on the inside. And I remember very, very vividly the day, and this was four months into this prayer, when he said to me, he showed me the picture of the person that I had been mad at from all those years ago. And he said to me, we'll talk after you go apologize. That knocked me over. It, it, was, not, it was not the God that I serve to be, like, it was not the God that I expected him to be. And I, I fought it, probably for another month. Some of you are impressed. Some of you are disgusted. I don't care. <laughs> it was one full month of getting up every morning to pray and going, no, I'm sure you didn't mean that. I'm sure you didn't. The other person was wrong. It wasn't me. And over the course of that month, just bit by bit, he started to show me, you know, whatever happened between you and that other person, you took part in it by walking away from the relationship. 
And I remember very clearly the day that I called that person and said, you know what, I need to talk to you. I just need to pour out my heart and apologize. My greatest fear was that I would do that. And the person would say, well, that's fine, Natalie, but you know what? Let's just let bygones be bygones and carry on with your life. And, and you know, I really don't care about you or whatever. But what happened was the Holy Spirit really repaired a relationship that was, um, that was critical for my path. And in a matter of a week, he restored me so fully. And uh, so that was a very, very big lesson for me. Now, that day when I walked into this church after that restoration had happened, I remember where I was sitting. It was kind of close to the back. Um, and I sat down. And the Holy Spirit said to me so loudly, Natalie, there is safety in fellowship. And so <laughs> Jared and I actually, we got connected with Chance and Denny, who if you know them, you know that there's this amazing anointing on their lives to build people. And their home was designed for it. And their lives are a testimony to the goodness of God. So we get hooked up with those two. And little by little, they just water us and water us and water us. And there's this scripture in Proverbs that says something along the lines of, you know, don't show up at your neighbor's house every day or they're not going to want you to come over anymore. <laughs> we tested this out very thoroughly. It's true. Don't do it. <laughs> but in a very short period, you know, God took us from this very, very broken state to seeing literally signs and wonders. And it was from, you know, this state of isolation to connection with other believers. We started to hear him again. We started to hear him for Chance and Denny and them for us and us for each other. All of a sudden, that connectivity between believers became a conduit for the Holy Spirit, and it was just powerful. And that, that grace just, it brought us up and brought us up and brought us up. Um, okay, so a scripture... We should read one so that this is legitimate. Um, turn to Acts 2.42. If there were bets on what scripture I would use today, it's not difficult. Brent, I'm reading an ESV but I imagine it's pretty close anyway. All right, Acts, Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The scripture has stuck out to me for so long, um, uh, not just because I'm now community girl and this sounds like the best party ever. But the thing that stuck out to me is that, you know, it, God's really laid out a list here of things that are pretty important. 
And it's not a law, but it's, you know, these are the things that are going to bind you together in the spirit. These are the things that will unify you. And in our church, you know, we, you know, there are so many good churches here in Lloydminster. I'm biased. That's why I keep coming here. Um, but, you know, part of, the, part of the blessing here is that we have a tremendous teacher in Pastor Jonathan. Um, he always teaches very true to the word. And, um, you know, he digs very deeply and challenges us to go deeper into the word. But this is a very, very interesting situation here in Acts 2.42 because, I mean, these are a good number of them. In fact, I think they're all Hebrews at this point, right, Pastor John? Yeah. 99% Hebrews. So these are going to be people who are trained in the word of God. They know the Old Testament, the scriptures. They revere them. They've lived them out. They talk about them regularly. They've become part of their fabric. But none of these people have a Bible. I read this one day, and it floored me. And I just have to add in the caveat here. I just need you all to know that I really love the Bible. Okay, so anything that I say should not be taken as, burn your Bibles. We'll just live by the Spirit. I think that um, the Word of God is a blessing. Um, I read it regularly, and whatever happens in our congregation should be a reflection of his heart as laid out in Scripture. But I just want to point out that these people don't have Bibles. So I just want to ask you, what do they have? Because they have something so powerful, and it's something that we have too. And I think that, you know, something that we've, we've experienced now for years as members of the Word Church is that apostles' teaching. We've really got that down. And, um, you know, we're all prayers. We're strong prayers. You know, something that I hear about the Word Church, if I'm talking with people about it, is, you know, well, you guys really know the Word. And we know how to pray the Word. We're really muscular in that area. And, but I just wonder if we have been a little bit saggy in the area of fellowship and breaking of bread. And I know, don't get me wrong, I know that each one of us you know, we all have relationships and people that we turn to. And um, um, so, you know, I'm not trying to suggest, you know, that you all go home and ignore one another. But um, this fellowship is really quite fascinating to me, again, because these people don't have a New Testament scripture to refer to. And so, um, and so I think that, uh, you know, what I take from that is that by gathering together and eating together, the direction of the Holy Spirit is coming from each one of them. And they're receiving from one another and giving to one another. And so when it comes to fellowship, what I wonder is, how strong is your fellowship? That part of fellowship. Because sometimes fellowship is games and fun and coffee dates. And sometimes fellowship is, please tell me what's going on in your heart today. What's God been saying to you lately? What are some areas where you are struggling? Can I pray for you? And it's funny because we get, we get really comfortable with one another, and sometimes we just stop doing that. I have no idea why. I've done it myself a hundred times. I think actually sometimes I have this little voice in my head that says, stop being so intense. 
you know, people can't handle your constant deep questions, just back up. Sometimes maybe that's true. But it's not always true. Very often, part of my part of, my part of the relationship is to dig a little bit and to say, what's really going on? We have this, you know, like I said, we, we know the word very well. And um, thankfully, from Pastor David, Pastor Brownie, Pastor Jonathan's teaching, generations of teaching, we have learned how to keep our confession right. Um, but our confession should be right in the context of strong relationships and knowledge in your heart. I saw this funny cartoon that on the internet. You guys, I hope, hopefully you like this. Sometimes fellowship can look like this. Sometimes a confession can look like that, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I might say to you as a, as a close friend of mine, how are you doing? And what you're saying is, thank God I'm healed. And what you really mean is, this is fine. And part of the problem is that perhaps you haven't surrounded people or you haven't surrounded yourself with people who are continuously feeding you with that word with prophetic words, with things, with the word of God that will help to stimulate that truth inside of you. Um, so as I've read through the scriptures, of course, community has stuck out to me for the last few years. I constantly read it, even while Pastor Jonathan is preaching. Sorry about the microphone thing. Even while Pastor Jonathan is preaching, um, I'm, I'm constantly receiving what he's sharing but also picking out, wow, there's another area where the Holy Spirit tied people together and his power was shown through that, that connection. One of the things that stuck out to me as well, um, actually, let me just take it back. Now, to that list, um, when the Holy Spirit says, you know, the, the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to eating together, and to prayer— I thought, you know, it's a really funny thing that we've kind of omitted some of that deeper fellowship stuff because um, I was giggling to myself the other day and thinking, you know, if, if my thoughtful husband called me at home and was like, I'm at the grocery store, do you want me to get you anything? And I said, can you bring me apples, oranges, and bananas? And he comes home with apples and says, here you go, honey. You know, am I honestly going to be like, wow, that's so thoughtful of you. Thank you for asking me what I want and then not actually delivering two-thirds of it. Uh, you know, and if he said, well, you know, you mentioned those three things, and I thought, you know, 30% ain't bad, so I thought I'd bring you these apples, that wouldn't be, you know, he wouldn't be honoring our relationship very well, right? And so I guess that's another thing that sort of made me turn back to that fellowship. Um, one of the things that I've seen consistently is that um, God uses relationships to heal things that don't necessarily need to be healed in relationship. Have you guys experienced that before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. I'll because of your begging, I will expound. Um, so, for example... So we each have the Holy Spirit. He speaks to each one of us every day. Of course, you all have heard it. You know what his voice sounds like. You've probably obeyed him when you don't even know it. In um, 2007, I think, 
somebody in Lloydminster invited me to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And um, I didn't know anybody going on the mission trip except for this one person. And I didn't want to go, but in prayer, I felt, you know what, I should probably go on this mission trip to Mexico. No desire, but I felt that the Lord said yes. Um, all of the preparation for this mission trip was done in the evenings, and I was working nights at Versus. And so I said, you know, I'm going to go on this mission trip with you guys. I don't know anybody, um, and I can't come to any of the preparation, and I also can't pay for it. So, <laughs> so, um, so God paid for it. Um, it was somebody not related to the mission trip. And then um, I showed up on that day and got on the bus with these 30 people, and we drove to Mexico, which was this as painful as you think it is. And um, all the way down, I was thinking, what am I doing on this mission trip? Like, I don't, I have no desire to go build houses or whatever it was that we were doing. I, you know, I don't feel connected to this group in particular, but I think you called me to come. So I'm going to serve. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve whoever's here. Everybody on this bus I'm going to be their servant. If they need something, I'm going to help because I don't, I feel no connection to this place. And so um, I got down there and kind of consistently, you know, just made myself available to do dishes when dishes needed to be done or to clean the floor or what have you. And, um, you know, it was kind of grubby work and it wasn't a lot of fun, but I was thankful to be there and I knew I was supposed to be there. And um, when I, when... <laughs> One day, a woman arrived who was in the same sort of position as me. She came from Southern California and joined our group there. And she got on the bus and happened to sit down next to me. And she's like one of those intense deep talkers like me, so it went over really well. You know, we didn't have to, we were able to skip some of the superficial talk and get right down to, what's God saying to you, sister? And so we started talking immediately and um, she said to me, you know, I just have this strange feeling. Uh, I feel like I need to tell you about something that's going on in my life. And um, this woman is, you know, 30 years my senior. And so I was kind of taken aback, and I said, okay, well, tell me about it. And she said, um, my dad died six months ago, and he's left me a certain sum of money, and I'm not sure what to do with it. That was what she had to share. So, uh, and instantly, I saw a picture of something. This has never happened to me in my life before. And I said to her, you know, this is the strangest thing. I just had this weird picture of this massive warehouse, and I can see a line of people coming in the back with, like, furniture and bags of things. And then at the front, I can see people taking these things out in droves, like, distributing them. And she said... Well, okay, that's what I was going to do with the money. I just needed confirmation. She said, I had three options, and I've been asking the Lord for several months, what should I do? Now, let me tell you, this woman is deeply entrenched in her own community in Southern California. I promise you, God could have told somebody there. But he brought two people together, brought us into deep fellowship, and it was that moment that he chose to do something. Our God is wild. 
He was utterly wild. And you know, I think about how many times that she probably sat in her prayer closet and said, Lord, I just need to know what to do. And I don't know, you know, I think there must have been several levels of why he chose to connect her with the answer through another person, particularly someone that she really didn't know. But it just really, it really illuminated to me the power of connecting with other believers. Um, and I apologize if I'm a little light on scripture, but big on stories. Um, I love to tell stories. When we're at home group on Tuesday nights, I'm always like, do you guys mind if I share another story? The, the home group team could, or group could definitely attest to that. Um, but I do think, you know, Revelation says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And testimonies are designed to encourage us greatly. So last night as I was preparing, um, I was drawn to, to re-listen to Dave and Jeannie McGrew's message from August 30th. Um, I don't know if any of you remember it quite the way that I do because it blew all my curly hair back. It was such a big message for me. Um, if, you were, if you recall, his message was, it was prophetic and it was about increase. I encourage you, if you did not listen to it, if you missed it, go back and listen to it because it, I believe it was a very powerful directive for our church. But he talked a lot about personal increase corporate increase, increase in faith, in seed. Um, I also just love listening to David McGrew because listening to him is like receiving from a dear father. But anyway, I, um, so I re-listened to this last night and um, you know, I saw a picture in my heart of, of us standing on a shore with a styrofoam cup and God is sending a tsunami. Sometimes I think when we hear messages like that, we do kind of go, well, that's great, God. I need faith for increase in this one little area of my life. And what he wants to do is completely overhaul it. Um, and I, I think a lot about what's going to happen um, when the darkness in Lloydminster really cracks open, when we start to see the revival that's already planted in the hearts of the people here, what are we going to actually see because it's very funny where my mind goes. I mean, of course, I think we're going to see a lot of miracles. That's awesome. I think we're going to hear more fantastic teaching. But I think we're going to have some very dysfunctional people in the church. I think we're going to have the doors blown open. And a whole lot of people coming in who are very, very broken. Uh-huh, glory to God is right. And it's also a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary because First John says that if you say that you love God but you hate your brother, what good's your love? And I think, you know, where, what are the areas in our body, God, that are lacking right now as far as giving to one another? Um, because Jesus said that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. And what I see here is a room full of seeds and a room full of plants that need to be watered. And I think that a part of our preparation for the fulfillment of that prophetic word is for us to 
pour out fully onto the people that are in this congregation. The Bible says that they'll know you're Christians by your love for one another. It's very specific that your love for your brethren is a very clear fruit of, um, of God's love in you. And I know each one of us here has that perfect love of God inside of us. And so, you know, part of my question is, you know, which one of us is willing to lose? What are we willing to lose for our brothers and sisters? How can we draw closer? Some of it is just proximity. You've got to show up. And I, I mean, I don't say that. I've, I miss church sometimes. You know, I don't think there's an attendance chart in heaven. But I mean showing up with your heart ready. Um, and, you know, that is really to give and to receive. It's a funny thing, you know, there are, some of us are really good at receiving and some of us are really good at giving, but not all of us are good at both. But a big part of fellowship is both. You know, showing up with your heart ready. Like Pastor Jonathan said, you know, if, if Hunter is in the congregation and he gets a word from the Lord, are you ready to receive it? Are you coming into the congregation listening to what the Spirit is saying and looking at the people and going, okay, God, who can I give to right now? What can I give? What can I offer? And when someone... When someone gives something to you, you know, I find if I'm sharing my heart with somebody, oh, I'm still, I'm still kind of a sissy about it in that, you know, this is something that's so precious to me and I've meditated on it and I've, and I've thought it over and I've really prayed about it. And, you know, if I'm offering it to you, do you know what to do with it when you get it? If it's way off, do you know how to be kind back? <laughs> You know, like if it's just way out there, do you know how to say, I really love you and I really appreciate that you were brave enough to come to me with that. And you know what? I don't see it now, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. Or are you going to cut the relationship off because that's scary? Proverbs 14.4 is a scripture that stood out to me for a long time. And it says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but much produce is gained from the strength of the ox. The trenches of relationship is really, really dirty. And for that reason, I think almost every single one of us, in some way, at some point in time, and maybe not now, has sort of spiritualized our dysfunction to avoid that dirt. We all do it. It's really stinky. I know for myself, for sure, there have been lots of times where I've said, you know what? Well, maybe I haven't said this publicly, but maybe I've thought in my head. <laughs> I've said, you know, I just really discern that so-and-so is, you know, not a safe person to be around. Well, you know, there's, this, there's good news because the guard of my heart is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, that really kind of makes all people fairly safe. I'm not saying that you need to have no boundaries, but, um, you know, when you come into a congregation and there's pain inside of you from, you know, maybe trauma from your past, 
Uh, I'm telling you right now, your instinct is going to be to probably spiritualize that or just isolate yourself. And, um, you know, that is the place of no growth. That is the no growth zone. Um, personally, you know, when Jonathan was saying that I, I live this stuff out, it's very true. Um, it's true to the extent that I really, there are several women in my life, as well as my husband, who I truly lay my life out before them on almost a daily basis. Sometimes it's because I need it. Like sometimes it's because I just feel like I'm going to drown in my own garbage, that I need to tell somebody what's going on in my head so that they can say, not true, true, not true. That's really not true. Very true, you know? But sometimes it's like the Apostle Paul said, you know, I took my ministry to some of the elders to present it to them to make sure that I hadn't been running my race in vain. So, um, you know, there are people that I take my life before, and I say, you know, these are the thoughts that I've been thinking lately. These are the things that I've been meditating on. This is the area where I'm very tempted. These are the areas where I feel like I'm really failing. This is one thing that I think I'm really good at. I lay these things out before other believers very consistently um, because I believe what God said when he said, there is safety in fellowship. And, you know, it stinks to do that at first. It really stinks. Um, but I really believe that, you know, people, people in general will admire you for your strengths, but they will connect to you in weakness and vulnerability. And I'm not saying, hear me out, I'm not saying, you know, crawl around and be weak and, you know, tell everybody about how bad you've got it. But there are those moments when, you know, it really, it really makes sense to say, me too, and we will overcome. I've been through that too. We will overcome. Um, I have one more story that I want to share. And um, I asked Jared if he minded if I share this story. This is going to be a big surprise to those of you who know us, but Jared really likes football. <laughs> so um, we actually have this pillow somewhere, I think on one of our couches, that says, we now interrupt this marriage for football season. <laughs> it's not that accurate. I just got it because I thought it was funny. But um, Jared loves football. And so at the start of football season um, this last year, he got football ascitis one Sunday morning and couldn't make it to church. And you know, when you live so closely with somebody and you see all their faults, it, it can become very difficult to not keep those faults at the forefront of your mind, um, especially you know, if you're tired or stressed. And um, <clears throat> I was really mad at him. I was really mad at him for it. I, and it was just way over the top mad. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I expounded on how mad I was <laughs> before I left for church. Um, <laughs> yes, enjoy that irony. <laughs> um, and I got in my vehicle, and I was driving. I was driving to church, and I was praying. I was praying for Jared. Okay, <laughs> but it's very loud and angry praying. <laughs> 
I don't know if I thought he was there, but I was like, and God in Jesus' name, make him come to church already. Oh, it was just ridiculous. Spiritualizing my dysfunction right there. There's an example. Um, and I made it from my house all the way to the road that's kind of over by the upgrader. And I finally shut my mouth, hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit did something to me so profound um, that I think it forever changed my world. He flashed a picture in front of my eyes, which is usually the way that he shows me stuff. And it was Jesus on the cross. And he said to me, don't blame him, blame me. And I started crying, and I think I cried for about two days because I was so filled with the love of God. The God who loved us so much that his love covers over where we err. It covers over all areas where we fall short, where we fall, fall short of each other's expectations. And I said to him out loud in the vehicle, no, God, I can't blame you. And he said, then don't blame my son. It was a beautiful, beautiful correction. And it's something that I bring to mind every time one of you ticks me off. <laughs> Genuinely. Don't blame my kids. That's what he's saying. Don't blame my kids. Just love. Just love and love and love. Pastor John, I think that's everything that I have. Thank you guys so much for your grace. Just for the record, I was going for a five there, not an awkward handshake, but that works. <laughs> that was good. And I'm thankful that we, we can hear and receive uh, from these diverse gifts in the body of Christ. You know, the Bible says, we just read it uh, a week and a half ago as we've been going through First Peter. It says, be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The Greek word there is pikolos. Which it's diverse. It's unique. It's, it's different in every one of us. The grace of God manifests in different ways. It looks different in all of us. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And as Natalie brought up so well, you know, if we claim to love Jesus, I, ca I, can't, I can't go poke Trent in the chest and say, I wasn't touching you, Trent. I was touching your chest. You know, that doesn't make any sense. You know, I can't go, I can't say to my wife, Tia, I just love you. I hate your body. I love you. <laughs> now, I would never say that. But can you imagine how weird that seems? You are your body, right? Jesus is his body. And if we expect to find him, we look up, but we look around, and we see Jesus in one another. The problem is, is that Jesus is coming through the filter of us, right? And we don't always represent Jesus as we should. So sometimes the way I'm trying to represent Jesus to you doesn't come out as clearly as I want it to. And you have to kind of move that aside 
and find what God is saying. And, and sometimes there's got to be correction. Sometimes there's got to be some love to cover a multitude of sins. Isn't it interesting? And I, I, T and I just came back from Victoria, and, and they gave me, this is a dangerous thing to do, but they gave me a day on Saturday just to teach, and then Sunday to teach. And so we just really got into it. And I told the church we were going to talk about the last days. And you know, everybody, when there's a last days, cool, fireworks, monsters, yeah, the last days. And when I opened my Bible, I said, okay, we're going to talk about the last days. We're not going to talk about the signs of the last days. You guys know that. We're not going to talk about the, the signs in the heavens and the earth beneath. You guys know that stuff. We're going to talk about in the scripture, every time they talk about the last days are here, the end of all things is near. What does he start to talk about? In every circumstance, as you look through Romans 13, as you look through uh, the whole book of Jude, as you look through First uh, Peter 4, he says in First Peter 4, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sober spirit and sound judgment for the purpose of what? Prayer. Then it goes on and says, but above all things, love one another fervently from the heart, for love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't it interesting? When we hear someone say, the end is here, what do you think? What do you picture? The end is here. Ah, I got to run to my shack in the woods. Josh, bring your guns. We, we got to, the end is here. Well, what does it say? That would be cool anyways. We should just do that for fun. But what does the scripture say? The end of all things and above all, when you know the end is near, what do you do? Above all, love one another. Romans says love one another because love fulfills the law. Then he says love one another as Christ has loved us. Do this knowing the time. Because we know the time, because we know the day that we're living in, love. Jude says, in the last days, there'll be scoffers, there'll be mockers, there'll be lovers of self. What does he say? But you, beloved, building yourself in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. And so it's so important. As, as much as you might have your, your friend that tells you, you know, have you read this book about this and the book about this? And we get so excited. Man, we're in those last days. And, and we all have different theories about what that looks like. I'll tell you one thing that we need to do. We need to pray more and we need to love more. And I thank God for the word that was preached today. Natalie, you did a great job. And we really appreciate that word. And I believe that it's going to sink in. I hope you write some things down through all this. Because you'll forget some things. Write down what God's saying to you through it. I want to let give a, my, my sister Liberty a chance to, to share some cool stuff. Um, just in quick introduction, most of you know, if you've been here for a bit, you know Liberty. Liberty is my younger sister, but she's very mature. And um, <laughs> she moved away a few years ago and married, a, married an American young man. Um, and he's a doctor, and Matthew was just with us just came and visited for a bit, and um, I asked if I could borrow his wife for an extra day, and she could share with us, and, she, and he was nice enough to let that happen, and she was nice enough to change her ticket. Um, but one thing I've noticed about Matthew and Liberty, Matthew and Liberty grew up in the church, full of the word, ministry-minded, Christ-minded, and, and their hearts have always been for people. But I've noticed since they've moved to Philadelphia, there's been a different gear that God added to their life. And I've seen it in them, and it's excited me. And I've seen them step into um, an intensity of community and an intensity of, of loving the body of Christ and loving the neighborhood around them that it's been so inspiring to me. In fact, the last time I went, 
I made, I came and I sat in on one of their small groups and I listened and I had brunch with their pastor and I asked questions because they were, they're in a group that's doing something very good that I wanted to learn from, which was, you know, a, a real strong community and connection. And um, I just, I, I was so inspired by it. And I, I know Liberty's got a foundation of the word, but isn't it cool when you see your friends, uh, your family members that have been saved for a while? Isn't it cool when, when God takes them to a different level and, and takes them a different place and, and you get to see them change in front of your eyes. And I, I as a pastor, I want to see that in every one of your life. Uh, I, I believe in consistency, but I believe consistency looks like this. Not like, not flat. It's an upward climb. It's the upward call of Christ Jesus. So I, I pray in every one of you, God is taking you to different levels. And in order to do that, you have to be uncomfortable for a little bit. God can't cause you to grow without you having to occasionally change your clothes, right? You can't wear the same pants you wore as a five-year-old. You grow, you have to buy new clothes. Sometimes there's the growing pain. Sometimes there's the pants are too tight. Sometimes there's those moments. And so as God causes us to grow, sometimes he pokes those places that we thought were fine. Leave me alone. I got it. And he pokes those and says, but I want you to grow right here. And often he uses other voices to say things we haven't thought of, we haven't seen it that way. We've read the same scriptures, looked at them both, hadn't seen it that way. And I pray that that's what God does. Would you please welcome my little sister, uh, Liberty, S Liberty Harris. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan, my big brother. He's right. Um, grew up in this church, had a foundation in the Word of God, and had amazing relationships in the body of Christ. Found ourselves in different cities in the United States with different bodies of believers, and it kind of was like, okay, this body is, is teaching us this, and we're able to contribute this. But until I got to Philadelphia, I kind of thought that I was living in community. If you had asked me, do you believe and live in the community of the gospel? the Godhead, I would have said yes. Until people started getting in my business. People started getting in, as Natalie said, my personal space. I'm just like Natalie. I'm not one to just go, hey, don't knock, just come on in. I'm kind of the one that goes, okay, these, this is church, and, and this over here is work, and this over here is outreach, and this over here is mission, and this is my home, and I'm going to close the door and bye. But in the last two and a half years, God has rocked the inside of who I am. The core of everything that I believe through, like Natalie was saying, the gospel has, it's changed. And it's come alive through this gospel of community. You know, our God is a God of community. Community is not something new to him. Before time, he was, and it was God the Father, it was Jesus the Son, and it was the Spirit. And they were in community, common unity, going with one purpose. They were fellowshipping with one another. And then God creates the earth. And in Jesus, the word of God speaks into existence, this earth. And he says, earth be, and it was. And he, and he separated the land from the sky and, and created all of these animals. And every day he said, this is good. This is good. And I'm sure the spirit, the father and son and community and connection were like, yeah, this is good. But then he said, you know what? 
I'm going to create man in my image because I want to be in community. I want to be in fellowship. And so there he creates Adam. And what I find so fascinating about this is as amazing God is, he creates a man in his image and he doesn't just give him orders and then go away and they have sort of this divine experience. He walks with him. The Bible says he walks with Adam in the garden, and to me that's denoting that he lived life with him, that he, that he lived the everyday aspects of community with Adam. And then later on he, we read that he said it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates what? The best, no, just kidding, woman. And again, we see God multiplying community. We see God building this earth, building this garden, and he does it through community. He doesn't do it on his own. He invites Adam to be a part of it. In fact, he said, Adam, I want you to have dominion. I want you to care for this garden, to tend it. I want you to name the animals. And him and Eve worked in community together with God the Father, Jesus, the Word, and the Spirit. In community, God was, was not just telling them what to do. He was inviting them to build with him, to partner with him. And this hasn't changed. We see it again and again and again through generations in the Bible that God works inside this concept of community. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus had such profound and amazing fellowship with the Father such communion with God. And Jesus himself, there was a group that we see that followed him from place to place. These are people that he lived life around. But then there, there, there were these 12 disciples that Jesus invited in to partner with him, to build. He said, this is what I'm doing. This is what the Father is telling me to do. You come with me. Partner with me. These people weren't qualified. They didn't have the background and they didn't even know really what they were following. But they felt that, 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 that unction to go and to leave what they, that they had behind and to follow Christ. They were all in. And we think of this as Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount and, and doing mighty miracles. But you know, it was more than that. They laughed with Jesus. Maybe he got some honey stuck in his beard. Get that little fly away. They laughed with him. They cried with him. They dealt with the challenges of going to places where they weren't received. They were with him. They lived life with him. And, and though they were imperfect, they grew. And, and though they, they didn't have everything together all at once, they expanded themselves. We see many moments where we go, oh my goodness, what were they doing? But they were growing with Jesus. They were living life with Jesus. They were living life in community. You know, and Jesus, being the son of God, I'm sure he could have done these things on his own, but God never chooses to work like that. He always works in the concept and the reality of community. And so when they would go to places, we read in scripture that the disciples would go out. We see that they go to a village to look for food for the people. 
We see that they had titles, they had descriptions. What were they doing? They were assisting Jesus in the plan of God being fulfilled. They were partnering with the Son of God. They were living life in community together, and they were giving what they had. They were assisting Jesus in the way that they knew how, what they could contribute. They were contributing, and Jesus was giving back to them. In Ephesians 4.1, I encourage you to go home and read this in full context because I'm just going to run through it quick. But it says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent... This is important, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, and just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by the trickery of men or craftiness. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together, what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. For this causes the growth of the body, the building up of itself in love." As Natalie and Pastor Jonathan were saying, love is, is what binds us. It's what causes all of those parts to be fused together and to work together and to function. Without love, you're just a bunch of pieces. You're not flowing. You're not working. You're not functioning as you were created to. And I know that if you've come, if you've been in church for, for any amount of time, you've heard God has a purpose for your life. He has a plan of your, for your life. And, and though it may be different, though we may have different um, titles or, or descriptions, we're all going towards the common cause. Perhaps you've heard this. But how often do we hear that little nagging whisper in our head that I don't fit where do I belong? You're talking about purpose and me participating with the plan of God building up each other in love and building up this community, but I don't even know where to start. And the biggest enemy that the lie will ever tell a believer is you don't belong. You don't fit. There's not a place for you. I want you to just decide right here, right now, that, that is the enemy. That is not the truth. Because according to Ephesians 4, it says every part has a function. And all of them are important in building up what Christ is building. See, Jesus is always building. God is always building something. And we, each of us, always have that open invitation to be a part of it. That is the community of the Godhead. That is the gospel and the cause of community. So when we have that... 
that, that mindset. Why do we fit? Or, or maybe we come to church and we don't yet know how to believe or belong. You know, my pastor always says, you know, first you, belo- you belong, then you believe, then you behave. Because people have to feel like they're a part of something to, for that faith to rise. And we have to have patience with people. Patience for that growing stage. You know, didn't Jesus have a lot of patience with, with Peter? <laughs> and Peter's the one that he said, upon you, I will build my church. Well, Peter was a bit of an emotional. You know, there was times where he just was ruled by emotions. My pastor always says, emotions are great servants, but they are horrible masters. And that's why in this realm of community, serving each other, there is going to be emotions. But something that I always pray is, God, give me an unoffendable heart. And, and it's, so e- it's so interesting that there's a bunch of people right now that I'm living life with. And I can honestly say there are times where it's been like, oh, that was rude or oh. But it honestly hasn't offended me because I've just made the decision. That, that, that I need to grow, and maybe if I'm reacting to this, there's something in me that needs to change. And I'm, I believe in healthy boundaries, but I also believe in, believe in giving people the grace to grow and to participate. You know, Jesus was patient with those disciples. Um, Ephesians 2 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So there you go again. You are not an outsider. When you give your life to Christ, you belong. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what your background or your experience says, you belong. Christ says you belong. You are citizens in the saints and members of the household of God, being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. For in him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And what holds us together is that cornerstone, Jesus. This morning, I was praying for my Philadelphia church community. We have, a, we have a several campuses. My, um, we like to say we have one house with many rooms. But the campus that I belong to is, is kind of our little bit of our raw campus. It's, it's right in the heart of Philadelphia. And we have all sorts of people that come. But what's so interesting and what changed me as a Christian going doing life with these people is, um, I remember our pastor always saying, you know, you need to be a community, you need to build a community, and you need to bless the community. And, and I, I remember hearing those words and going, yeah, that's a good tagline. <laughs> but until you start to live it, and I was thinking about these people this morning because I, I know they were all there. Because we meet in a movie theater, we have to set up every Sunday morning And then we have service, and then we have to quickly tear down. But what's so interesting about this little community of believers is is I like to call us all misfits because it kind of looks like if you kind of saw us all together, you'd be like, what? What's going on here? (laughs) But we love each other. And I experienced through this community, they kept saying, build a community, be a community, bless a community. I was like, okay, yeah. (laughs) But then I, I would say to Matthew on a Sunday afternoon after we got everything packed up, okay, let's go. 
it's like Sunday nap time. Like, you only have a few hours. You have to go back to work tomorrow. Like, let's go. And um, he would always say, no, let's just hang. Let's just fellowship. That's the Christian word, fellowship. And um, before long, I would see these people on a Sunday morning, and I would see them midweek on a Tuesday. But then on a Thursday, I began to miss them because God was knitting my heart together with these people that I had never even known before. Why? Because he had called us to that community. And just as important as it was for us to to bring our portion and to give, there was something for us to learn and something for us to grow. And so now Sundays, you can't get us, you can't get us off the property. The theater managers has had to say, you guys need to step outside because you talk too much. You talk too much, and then we just end up going out for lunch, and then we end up getting together on Monday and and Wednesday, and and there's all these little micro-communities inside the gospel community. You may not be, hmm, I just have a sense that you may not be a part of every dream in this house, but there are dreams and destinies that you were divinely put and placed into this community to be a part of. And until you begin to fellowship with these people on the left side of you, on the right side of you, you don't know. Like Natalie, she didn't know until she sat down with that woman beside her. There are things for you to grow in, and, and you can't do that outside of community. God, God inhabits the praises of his people. We, re- we just read that he, he dwells in, that he builds us together because he wants to, to work through us as a corporate unit. And so these people began to be bonded in my heart, and I just love them. And we've gone through some challenging things together. December, we just lost a very dear congregation member. The happiest part of it, she went on to heaven and she went pretty quickly, but as sad as it was, what was so amazing to me is that when she, she, her whole life, she had never felt like she belonged. And she came to our campus and she began to serve. She began to give what she had. She began to fellowship and, and, and go for coffee and and God just began to work in her and grow in her. And through a matter of like a few months, God just began to just change her. And it seemed like we had her for so little before she went on and descended to heaven. She wanted to go to heaven. She was excited about it. But we selfishly wanted to keep her. But the Saturday that she passed away, what was so interesting to me was I had this like really big urge to go see her in the hospital and it was like nothing could stop me and I and I had plans with this friend we were supposed to go to this nice dinner and I just said do you mind if we cancel the reservations and would you go with me to see her I feel like we have to go now and my campus pastors had the same inkling we didn't even talk to each other but they just felt like we have to go now and several other members that I didn't know I found out afterwards we all showed up on the same day from morning to night, we were with her. We prayed with her. We cried with her. And when she left, I was just like, God, this is community. This is what it means to be bonded with somebody in Christ, somebody that I, I had no natural connection with, that, that we would be in the same part. She lived in another part of the city, but, but my heart was bonded to her.
I cared for her. I cared for her dreams. I cared for her family that was there. It's community. God works in community. We were never meant to live life alone. We were meant to live life well together. And if you're not living in community, I can testify of this. You are missing a portion of God. First Peter 2.4 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's found in Psalms, the, the stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Obviously, the builders were building something. If they had to reject the cornerstone, they were building something, right? Everybody is building something. Everybody is building a life on different cornerstones. And a quick way to find out what your cornerstone is is when life around you falls to pieces. What do you grab a hold of? What do you hold on to? We're all building something, but are we building on the foundation of Jesus, our cornerstone? A cornerstone, and my brother could probably explain it better than I could, but it was that the important part of the structure that held all of the pieces in line. They would put the cornerstone in, and, and if the cornerstone wasn't straight, then the rest of the stones weren't going to be straight. And if the cornerstone faltered or fell, the rest of the stones would falter and fall. In community, if we're not, when I, when I talk about Philly and I talk about my experience there, it's just because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what bonds us together is that cornerstone of Jesus. Because if you take Jesus out of the equation, then, then it would just be about emotions and feelings and what can they bring to me? What can they give me and how are they enhancing my life? But when it becomes about Jesus, that cornerstone, it all of a sudden is what can we build together? What can we do together? If one could put its thousand to flight and two ten thousand, if I just start building with you, what could we accomplish together? I've heard it once said, we are living stones. If you are so interwoven in the community that God has placed you in, then if you left that community, would anything happen to the wall? If my life is interwoven into the community that God has placed me in, then when I leave, it should matter. It should matter. Or when somebody leaves or somebody is, is, is going through something, it should matter to me. And when Jesus is the cornerstone, he's building, he's building, he's moving, and he invites us to participate in that building process. And what I love about this is you can't, once you experience this, you can't just keep it to yourself. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit may start talking to you about having that lunch with somebody. He started talking to me about giving those Sunday afternoons up. I mean, that sounds trivial to people that, that, that love to be with people all the time. 
But we all have places that God's maybe just, just unctioning us. And all we have to do is take that first step. And you may be sitting in your seat going, what is my purpose? And all these people have gone, they've been here for 30 years. But if it's your first Sunday in this church, or if you've been here a thousand times, you have something to contribute. You know, it's kind of like having a destination. And, and, and along the way, there's, there's beautiful things. There's, there's trees, and there's animals, and there's architecture. But I'm so focused on getting that, to that destination. And the people in front of me are like, you really got to stop at this bridge up here. It's phenomenal. Wait, wait, wait. I wasn't expecting a bridge. I, I got to get to my destination. How do I get there? I'm not prepared. Don't worry about it. Just keep walking. And if you keep walking step by step, you'll see what you need to see along the way. You'll begin to, to experience life the way that it was meant to be lived. So don't worry about 10 steps ahead or 20 steps ahead. Just take one step and then two steps and then three steps. And God will build in you his purpose. Peter was a great example of this. Remember when Peter stepped out of the boat in faith because Jesus called him out onto the water and he said, come here, Peter. Peter's feeling good, me and Jesus locking eyes. He steps out onto that water and what happens? He gets afraid. He loses sight of the destination and, and, and Jesus reaches out his hand and he grabs him. And he rescues him. And there was a safety there. There was a protection there. There's a protection and a safety in community. There's a safety and a protection and a power that is worked out through life in community. But Jesus reaches out his hand. And, and that, can you imagine, that would have been a phenomenal moment in someone's life. If that had happened to us, we might just go, okay, that's all I need. I don't need God to do another thing for me because that was the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life. But when God begins to do something in you, you cannot help but reach out to the people around you because if, if you skip ahead way later, do you remember the beggar, the lame man at the gate? And he reaches out to Peter and he says, alms, alms. And, and Peter, it says in the scripture that he, he locked eyes with him. And he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Rise up and walk. He stretched out that same hand, that same hand that had been rescued, that same hand. So what he had been given freely, he couldn't help but give away. And when you begin to experience the community in the gospel, in, these, in this place that God has placed you in with the relationship that God has divinely connected you to, when you begin to live that out, you can't help but go to the streets. You can't help but say, what can I do, God? Where are you moving, God? What are you building, and how can I be a part of it? Never go into a situation or a circumstance going, okay, I have something to bring. I have something to give. No, 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 no. Look for what Jesus is already building and go, how can I be a part of this? How can I participate? God, what do you want me to do? Use me. A good example of this is, this is so silly, but to me it was important. But it really is so silly. God uh, moved us to a different part of the city. And I had had all of these lists of things that I wanted in a home. And, and I had had this like radius of streets that I wanted to live in. What messed me up was sitting in church and a guest speaker saying, you know, maybe God is moving you to a community or a neighborhood and it's not about you. 
And I was like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> let me get that list. <laughs> I had thought that I was using my faith and going, you know, I'm in obedience. God is moving us, so that's us obeying. And because we're obeying, God will bless us. And I didn't really think past the point of God, where do you, where do you want us to live? I thought just stepping on the other side of the city was enough obedience, but no, 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 no. Because there was people waiting on the other side of my obedience. And I found myself in a house and a home that had all the things that I desired, but more importantly than that, I am on a street that I've now built relationships with, friendships with, and none of those people know Jesus. None of those people want to talk about church. Some of those people think that Christians don't like them because of the lifestyle or the choices. And here I am, we are right on the corner, right smack dab in the middle. And we cannot leave our house without seeing somebody. And at first I was like, oh man, this is another mission field. This is hard. I just want to close my door. (laughs) But it hit me one day, God, you entrusted me enough to put me on a street of people that don't know your name, that don't want to know your name. You trusted me enough to show them you. God, what have you you already started here? What are you building? God, use me. Help me to be open. Help me to expand and to not be selfish. It's not always about you. There's people's dreams and lives waiting on the other side of your obedience. Our human lives are as fragile as threads. You think of a single thread, what value is it? What what importance is it? it? It can break, it can get tangled, it can even get lost. But when you take that thread and you weave it and you weave it and you weave it with a hundred other threads, with a thousand other threads and a thousand other threads and all of a sudden you have this beautiful big quilt that is serving a purpose, all of a sudden that thread becomes more valuable together with all those other threads than it could ever be on its own. It's protected, it's safe, it's not going to get lost because it's, it's encompassed in all of these other threads that are doing the same thing, working towards a common goal. I um, just want to close with something that I read from C.S. Lewis, one of his books. And this is the part of community that I did not expect to happen on the inside of me. God grew me. He's continually getting that selfishness out of me. It's still there, but you know, God, God is patient with us. But what I didn't expect from all of this was to know God and see him in a way that I'd never seen him before through the people that were in the community that he had placed around me. C.S. Lewis says this. He had been close friends with other writers, and, and there was one of his friends that had passed away. And he said, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all its facets. But now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. 
In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. For in Isaiah 6, 3, it says, the more we share in the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. He didn't have more of Ronald because Charles was gone. He lost a part of Ronald that only Charles brought out. When we don't live life in community, we don't see all of God the way that he intended us to see him. The angels going around the throne crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They call out to each other because each time they circle, they see another facet of God that they hadn't seen before. There's a friend in my community in my life that she has an anointing and a grace on her for hospitality. She gives generously with no strings attached, and it's not an effort for her. It just comes. It just flows. It just, it's just easy for her. And I just, whenever I'm around her, it, it stretches me to be like that, to be more of a servant, to be more generous, to be more hospitable, because, because her view of God, the way that she sees God, it, it stretches me, and I see Jesus in her. I have another friend who loves the word of God. She, she eats it daily. She, she adores it in a way that I've never seen before. And when I'm around her, I crave that word. I see God, the son, the word, Jesus made flesh dwelling amongst us when I'm around her. I see parts of Jesus in community, living life well together. We see God in a way that we have never seen him on our own. It expands you and it grows you. And the moment you think, I don't have enough left to give, just trust him. Just take one little step. Just don't worry about the 10 steps ahead. Don't worry about that person doing this or this. Just join in what God is building together in you and what God is building around you. And just choose to be a part. Amen. Thank you. God, wow, so much coming out of those two sisters of ours, and you know, I trust that you received something, that you took something in. Um, I know that, that if you've ever studied the Word of God and studied heaven and studied hell, and I believe there is a heaven, I believe there is a hell, because Jesus said so. <laughs> Jesus said so, that's, that's more than enough, Right? Heaven, and I've said this before, but maybe you picture going to heaven and having your cabin in the corner. But heaven is a crowded place. And it's not crowded because there's not enough room. There's more room than you can imagine. It's not crowded because we're all, you know, like, God, why don't you just create more space? There's infinite space. It's crowded because people have gathered together around him. You ever look at the pictures of heaven, there's just a ton of people. And hell is not a party place. Hell is a lonely place. Jesus describes people being cast into the outer darkness outside of where everyone is. We want to enjoy heaven. 
maybe your picture of heaven is that it is a pleasure factory filled with all the things that you like. So I like peanut butter and jelly. There will be a peanut butter and jelly fountain. Heaven wasn't, that's not heaven. Did you know that the one thing that defines heaven is it is a place where God's will is done all the time? If you don't like God's will done here, what makes you think you're going to like it done up there? He's fitting us for heaven right now. Now, it's going to be wonderful. There'll be joy. There'll be peace. There'll be love. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. You're never going to be bored. I've heard teenagers say, mm, just worshiping all the time. Well, listen. First of all, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be stuff for you to do. Second of all, don't be a, don't, don't, don't be so small-minded that you think you're going to be bored. You're, you're constantly going to, to be growing and learning and seeing and knowing. I mean, you, for, for eternity, you'll, you'll never shut off. This is wonderful. But here's the point. As, as Liberty shared that, that verse in Isaiah, just referenced it. They're calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy. Who's being worshipped? God's being worshipped. And yet... Their worship to God is to him, but it's involving one another. You may wonder why, why we have to come together on Sunday morning. And maybe some of you say, well, it's to receive the word. Well, you're right. Some of you say it's to fellowship. You're right. Something we often miss is that God likes when his people come together and start to worship him together. The reason we sing songs isn't to pump you up before the sermon. The reason we sing is because he deserves some worship. You can worship him at home, but he loves when his people get together and worship. And there's a different level that we reach. And, and so I just want you to, to, to take in what you've heard. And I want God to, to let God challenge you in some areas. All right? So, you know, like in those areas where you say, I, I don't want anybody over at my house. I don't want to go over. Or, or those times where you say, I'd rather just, just be us. The people I'm comfortable with, let God stretch you beyond that. And, and one thing that just came up, Liberty talked about, you know, your neighborhood. Come on. God puts you in a neighborhood. And I know you see those people shoveling next to you while you're shoveling, right? You see them mowing the lawn. We might say, well, we live in Canada. We just retreat to our houses. You can't be out fellowshipping in the neighborhood. It's too cold. And yet every time it snows, you see five people down the row and you yell to one another. You're mowing the lawn and you see them. God put you there for a reason. I want you to open your heart to that possibility that maybe you're put in that neighborhood for a reason. Let's just stand up today.